Well, this evening, uh, I'm uh, speaking to you, the Holy Ghost never ghosts. God is going to reveal his faithfulness in powerful ways to you tonight. When a people, when a city, when a nation might forget God, he never, ever forgets. And my prayer for you tonight is that God will remind you of his faithfulness, remind you of the word he's spoken in your life, of the word he's spoken to us as a church. And my question is, will you place a radical trust in God's faithfulness tonight? My text for you tonight is Ephesians 1, verse 13 through 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, this is such a rich passage, you could probably get a 15-point sermon out of it. I'm going to go for three, and I really want to focus in on uh, a particular set of words that are grouped around this word, guarantee. Can I pray with you? Father, tonight I ask, Lord, that you would speak to your people afresh. Lord, that they would know what it is to receive a guarantee from the living God. And Father, I ask for your wisdom in sharing, Lord, that you would help me to convey what you would have conveyed tonight so that they would know you in a deeper way in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Now, why does this word guarantee matter? The phrase is, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? The Greek word arabon refers to a deposit or a commitment or a guarantee. A simple way of looking at it is that this payment that God has made is like the engagement ring i.e. it is a commitment on God's part that he is going to follow through on. And from God's perspective, as you'll see in just a minute, this is his ultimate display of skin in the game for his people. Now, this word is used one, uh, is used three times in the New Testament, and it, they always relate to this action of the Holy Spirit and what his presence in your life means. The other places are 2 Corinthians 1.22 and 2 Corinthians 5 verse 5. Now, this text sits in the context of a letter that Paul is writing to the Ephesian church. It's a 10-year-old church, um, and it's a, a place where Paul invested a great deal of his life, at least two years, preaching the gospel there in Ephesus. And now he's in prison some way away, probably in, in Rome, and on his mind is the church that he is committed to. Even when he's in chains, he's dreaming and speaking life to and catching revelation for the church and sharing it with the church. And he's speaking to a trading city, a city wherein people need to be able to rely on their commitments in order to do business, in order to live life. The society itself rested on trade agreements. And it's a time where your word is your honor. When you commit to doing something, you are going to do it. The money is about your business partner's peace of mind, just in case he doubts you. But for you to know that you are a meaningful, uh, lifelong, good business person to do business with, you hold to your word. And when it comes time for you to be depended on, when it comes time for you to fulfill your commitment, you make good on your promise. Now let's have a little bit of a think about what this then means for us in context. God is making a guarantee. Now, this is more than just a guarantee of, for example, an ability to pay a mortgage. A, a bank might back you so that you can 
pay a mortgage and they say that you are, they are sitting behind you. They are willing to provide resources with your house as collateral. This is not a second stage investing something else, someone else's money. God's guarantee is formulated like this. He himself is our guarantee. Let's go back to the verse. It said, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. You received the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost came to reside in your life as proof, as guarantee of the inheritance that you are going to receive. Now, what inheritance is that? It's a little bit odd when you dig a little bit deeper because what God has promised us is eternal life. And eternal life is knowing God. So effectively, what God has done is given us himself now as a promise of when he will give himself to us in full in eternity. Or said a different way, he has chosen to reveal himself to us, to know him now within the limits of what our mortal bodies can take as a foretaste of what he is going to reveal to us when we are in our immortal bodies and knowing him in the fullest. We will on that day see him, walk with him, talk with him, enjoy his presence in the fullest. But in the meantime, we enjoy that which we are able to experience in our mortal bodies. And from God's perspective, with such a promise, we can be at total peace and trust in God's faithfulness because the Holy Ghost never ghosts. Now, for those of you who are worried that we are stepping into the paranormal, looking at the realms of haunted houses and so on and thinking about ghosts, if you've got that kind of a problem, what you need to do is cast that devil out in Jesus' name. But the term ghost has come to mean something different uh, today. Ghosting is when somebody used to be real present in your life and then suddenly they vanish. One day you make an agreement to meet for coffee and they don't show. You try to text them, you try to call them, they don't answer. They stop being tangible in your life. They stop being reliable in your life. They have gone ghost. And the problem with people going ghost is that it affects relationships. It leads to broken marriages, it leads to betrayal of friendships, it leads to us making excuses when we're over busy and don't take the courtesy of telling people around us that we are going to be busy for a season. But at the base of ghosting is this, that we either undervalue the people that we're relating with, we treat them less than the human beings that they are and the way that they deserve to be treated, or and this is what I really want to tackle with us tonight, there's a fear of commitment that relationships require. And so I want to address two words. They're not the jazziest words, but they are, and I wanted to use another word, but we're in church, but they are uh, the core of what we believe, faithfulness and commitment. Faithfulness and commitment. Without faithfulness and commitment, there's no salvation. Without faithfulness and commitment, there's no assurance there's no certainty that we will be with God in heaven. Actually, without faithfulness and commitment on God's path, part, there is no guarantee of anything whatsoever. It's because God is faithful and committed that we experience life itself. Now, I'm conscious that just as I started to highlight those realities of what ghosting is or broken relationships, and maybe some memories came to mind. Maybe you began to think about your own situation and when there was a friend that you really wanted to rely on. 
a friend that you're really leaning on during a difficult time and then suddenly they just weren't there. Or maybe a family member, a family member that you genuinely loved and maybe they didn't ghost, maybe they were taken from you and there was this challenge that you began to experience around a broken relationship and a missing void in your life where we begin to wonder, is this a life that I enjoy living without these people? Or maybe you are a person here tonight and you are the type that goes ghost. Maybe you've snuck into church, you're hiding in here on your own. Uh, don't worry, I can't see you, um, but the Holy Spirit can. And maybe he's speaking to you tonight, saying, you know what, those broken relationships, there was life for you in those relationships. Will you take the courageous step of owning your own messes and fixing your broken relationships and being someone that's present and reliable for the people around you? Now, it's no secret that broken relationships are on the increase in our generation. Why? Because we're perhaps a generation that anticipates rejection more swiftly than any other generation before. We're so sensitive. Some of you are like, what do you mean by sensitive? Immediately on the defensive. And what we do in this mechanism of distancing ourselves from people, of not committing to relationships, is we place what we believe to be a distance of safety between us and other people. And we protect ourselves from what we think is about to come in a relationship. I know if you're out there watching online that you are probably thinking yourself about the challenges you've experienced in this area of needing to protect yourself because people can't be relied on. And so often when we experience a number of broken relationships, perhaps we might start in a good place, but one broken relationship shifts us out of that good place into a place of uncertainty. And that place of uncertainty leads us into more distance from other people who we could perhaps trust in at an important time. And when we've cultivated this attitude of separation and not committing, we begin to hold back from investing ourselves. We hold back from investing ourselves in relationships, in families, at jobs. Maybe you jump from job to job. Maybe you jump from church to church. Maybe you jump from city to city, looking for a place where you can find home. But there's a challenge at the base of all of this, and it's a subtle inconsistency that we need to face. We earnestly desire meaningful relationships, but at the same time, we are vigorously afraid of commitment. How do we resolve this? Is it possible to have a meaningful, lifelong, or life-giving relationship when we are so afraid of the commitment that such a relationship requires? Uh, I was told a story by my mom um, of when we were taking as children to a, a worship camp at a, a Bible week. Um, and it was a youth camp, and I'd never seen so many young people loving God. And, you know, the church I went to had two or three kids, and they were all five or six years different in age. And so to see all of these hundreds of kids there worshiping God, I kind of got caught up in the moment. And there was this appeal where the worship leader said, if you want to come and worship God, come out to the front. And you know what? I looked around and I just kind of edged out my seat and just went running up to the front. And I stuck my hands up in the air and started worshiping. I think I was 14. And my mom turned to my brother two years younger and said, uh, do you want to go with him? And he goes, what's he doing? He's crazy. That means commitment. He understood that going forward to worshiping God and surrendering meant commitment. 
Now, my question to you is, what do you really want? Do we really want a relationship with God that looks like something? Do we really want relationships that are meaningful and long-lasting? Well, if so, we will have to learn how to commit. Or we'll have to learn how to unghost ourselves, whatever that word means. The, tra- the reality is that um, for those of you who practice ghosting, let me just say to you, it isn't as easy as you think it is. I mean, it might be for you. It might just be a case of blocking someone using your uh, contact lists. It might be a case of um, avoiding someone or deleting your Facebook account. But you know, every relationship that we treat so lightly it actually causes grief in the life of the person that we break relationship with. It sets off that cycle of grief over a lost relationship. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And we could spend the whole message going down that line. It's not my intention tonight. But to say this, that listen, when, when we practice unfaithfulness in our relationships, it hurts people. And we may assume that it doesn't hurt us. But in the long run, when we hit 50, I know you're probably not dreaming about hitting 50 yet if you're younger and you've got this But when you hit 50, when you hit 60, when you hit 70, and you're like, where are my friends at? And they're like, hey, you were super ghost. You were the one that disappeared out of every relationship. Or maybe you're here and you're saying, well, I was more of a friendly ghost, like Casper. I told them why I was going to cut them off before I did it. Um, So I was fully justified in doing it. You know, We've got to start to value people on a different level. We've got to start to value the relationships that are around us. The opposite of this, then, is faithfulness. Faithfulness is about committing to one another and, in that context, enjoying the fullness of life. Why would we ever think about faithfulness? Because the Holy Ghost never... Come on, some of you have not been listening. The Holy Ghost never... Amen. Now, I... I'm preaching this message because I actually believe that this is about more than just you and your individual relationship choices. I believe that amongst the greatest revelation that this generation has opportunity to manifest in the earth is that from our passionate love for God, we can learn to walk in a radical commitment and faithfulness to loving people around us that others would shun. That we would literally say, you know what, as a church, we are called to deny segregation. We are called to deny individualization. We are called to deny isolation. And we are called to say yes to the glorious body of Christ, built from all of the races, both genders, from people that are easy to love, and those people like all of us who are difficult to love. I actually believe that that revelation is something that will begin to change the world around us. Uh, Jesus says it when he says, by your love for one another, they will know that you are my disciples. So I've got three points for you. The first that I want to focus in on is God's commitment or faithfulness to you. One of the big pieces that we discuss in church today is your identity, who you are in Christ, where are you in Christ, do you know what he has done for you and so on. I want to shift that a little bit to say this is beyond just who we are in Christ to who we are in relationship with God. Because the one we can just take as a definition point for ourselves without ever considering 
considering reciprocation. But when we look at relationship, we're thinking of how can I give and take and give and take, not just take all of the time. Now, one of the key things for us to remember is that we are more than a single idea. We are more than a simple classification. You are a complex, created, creative human being crafted by an epic God. And God loves you. But we make a mistake when we say that God uh, loving us means that he has to do everything that we ask him to do. I'm sure many of you have come to the revelation or realization that God doesn't always answer our prayer exactly as we're telling him he should. But in God's exercise of his sovereignty and his personhood, there are lessons for us to learn that no, sometimes is more powerful than yes in teaching us about who we are in Christ. Sometimes there are lessons of lack that are more important than the lessons that we might learn in a place of abundance. Sometimes there's lessons that we learn in a place of patience that are better suited to us than instantaneous prayer answers. Sometimes there's lessons in pain that are more valuable than the fleeting moments of bliss we might enjoy. And it's in those moments where when we shift away from just focusing on how God can benefit us to see how God walks with us through life, that we begin to learn about who he is in relationship, his interests, his power, his long memory. He knows, he remembers, he's faithful. And there are those of you who tonight are thinking of the times when you accuse God of going ghost on you. Let me suggest to you that it's perhaps you're looking for him in the wrong places. You were looking for him in the finished product when he was walking a process with you. You thought he was playing somewhere else in a green pasture when, when, when he was carrying you through the valley. You thought that he should be giving you nice, easy answers to prayer when he was holding together the very pieces of your life so you could still walk through. You said, God, you went ghost on me. You know there's uh, another term, ghostbusters? Ghostbusters is when you uh, trick them into answering. You know, when you're calling them and before they've pulled the phone out of their pocket, they've answered it and then they see your name and they're like, beep, 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 pretending that, you know, you've reached their voicemail. Um, but when God pocket answers your phone call and you think you've ghostbusted him, he says, what are you talking about? I left you a message. I called you. I wrote it down. And you might say, where, God? I ain't seen no message from you. And he says, be strong and courageous. I will never leave you or forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.6. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Isaiah 49.16. 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. I wrote it down. There's a song that we know about God writing it down. Steadfast love of the Lord never fails me. His mercies new never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great 
is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. Amen. Don't judge too early. You say, God, you weren't ghost. He says, I never left you. I was always with you. You say, God, what about that dream? He says, that dream is going to come back tenfold. You say, God, what about that person? I never knew whether they came to Christ or not. Now, I know that some people are determined not to know God. But it's going to be glorious when we get to heaven, and even more surprising when that friendly face walks up to you and they say, you know what, thanks for praying for me. You never knew, but I prayed a prayer in my heart before. You never knew, but I never told you, but I came to know Christ in a radical way. We're going to be so amazed by God and his faithfulness. Perhaps even those that you've been most angry at God about, you'll be surprised to find them in his presence. Point number one, therefore, God is faithful. My question, the number two, is can we grow in our commitment to him and therefore to one another? Let me spend a few moments here in the core of this text because this text, as I mentioned, has such riches for us. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, maybe tonight is the first time you are hearing the truth of God's faithfulness. The gospel of your salvation, what is this gospel? That Jesus is the only man to have lived sin-free for life and given his life willingly on the cross for you and for me. In fact, while we were still enemies, God loved us and gave himself for us. And maybe tonight you are realizing for the first time that Jesus was faithful to the Father's request. Jesus was faithful to meet the cost that your sin demands. Jesus was faithful to endure to that moment when he committed his own spirit into the faithful hands of the Father. Believing him is believing his faithfulness. And you have an opportunity. I want to extend the opportunity to you tonight. You may have heard it in the past, but you have an opportunity to believe. To say, you know what? That historical fact, that the God-man Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, that he was faithful to the end, I can put my trust in someone who is that faithful. I can give my life to someone who is that faithful. And if you're here today and you know that you need to draw near to the Lord and say, God, I've been challenged by how faithful you are. I treat things lightly. I treat people lightly. I don't trust people. You say, God, I can trust you. I want to lead you in a prayer tonight. If you are in that place and you want to make a response, let's all bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you were faithful for me, that you endured all things so that I could today place my trust in you. You are good. You are my forgiver. You take away my sin because of what you did on the cross. I want to know you. I want to trust you.
that's you here tonight and you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to make a response. Every single Christian in the room today has already done this in the past of raising their hand. But maybe you're here tonight and you say, you know what, I need to make that step of commitment of faithfulness to God because he's been faithful to me. I want to ask you to just slip your hand up in the air quietly. I'm not going to embarrass you. We just want to note that you're here and that you're making a decision to follow the Lord today. So in just three seconds, three, two, one, slip your hand up into the air if that's you. Amen. Well, it looks like everybody's Christians, but if you're not, remember that God has those new every morning promises for you. He'll come faithful tomorrow to let you know that he loves you. He'll come faithful the day after to remind you that he has a plan for your life. He'll come faithful the day after that to tell you, even though it looks like a mess, he's got you in the palm of his hand. And I want to encourage you when that knocking becomes so loud, you can't ignore it. Open the door of your heart and say, Lord, come in to my life. Change me from the inside. Now, for the rest of us Christians, if I were sitting in your place, I would be thinking about, what about those moments, Gabriel? Because I have those moments just like you have those moments, those moments when you're like, has God still got me? I mean, have I messed up too much? Have I not spent enough time with him? Have I not been faithful to prayer? Have I not been in his presence? Have I sinned too badly? You know, the amazing thing when we stumble, even when we fail, when we fall, is that we are testing Jesus' commitment. Now, you know what happens when you test Jesus' commitment? You find out he's faithful. He's faithful. And maybe you might be sitting here thinking about a loved one that's on your heart. You know that they came to Christ at one point in time. You know that they prayed a prayer one day, uh, but now they're backslidden. And you may be saying things like, uh, maybe they didn't really get saved in the first place. Uh, maybe um, I preached the gospel wrong. Maybe they weren't sincere about their commitment to God. Can I help you tonight to reframe your understanding? Can I help you tonight by reminding you that God is faithful? Can I help you tonight by saying, if you pray a prayer, God, you are faithful. God, go get them. God, go chase them. God, go pursue them because you're more faithful than they are. Right now when they're faithless, you're more faithful. And instead of declaring over them, maybe they were never really saved in the first place, you say, God, you are bigger than their backsliding. You are bigger than their transgressions. You are bigger than their decision to walk away. You are bigger because you are faithful. Now, if that's God's commitment to us, that he's faithful even when we backslide, he's faithful even when we don't yet know him and the enemies with him to draw us near to him, can we bring some of that faithfulness to our own relationships? I mean, we have, as a people, committed to the God-man who is revealed through the pages of the Bible, to live life through its pages. And page after page after page, we see God going into the lives of people that we would never be faithful to, and yet making covenants with them. What is God doing? 
He's showing something of his nature. Now, you might be here tonight and you might say, you know what, I don't have a commitment problem, Gabriel. You don't know you have a commitment problem until you test your commitments. Now, uh, I have a commitment problem. I have a commitment problem with chairs. And let me tell you a little bit why about I have a commitment problem with chairs. Because when you pass 100 kilos in weight, you can no longer trust that a chair is going to hold your weight. You might walk into church, you might be, oh, chair, great. Ah, great, comfortable. Let me just relax for a bit before the worship kicks in. Great. You don't even think twice about the fact that your chair is going to hold you up. And then there was the time that you came and you sat down and you, your chair broke under you and fell. Now, I thought about bringing a breakable chair up here, but there was no insurance to cover the, the stage in case I fell through. Um, but let me tell you why this came about. Uh, one day, uh, I began to notice that certain chairs that I sat on would not hold my weight. And so I'd become super suspicious, broke the first chair. And so every time I'd go into a particularly a pub or somewhere where I didn't know the chairs, a restaurant, I would investigate. Even give it a good kick every now and then just to make sure before I sit down. And so even then, sometimes I'd be just carrying a little bit of weight just to make sure. There was one time I went into a pub with my friends, and there was this lovely sofa, and two of them were sitting down. I thought, you know, it'd be fine for me to jump in. So I went, and I carefully eased myself in and sat on the same sofa with them, and it held. I thought, wow, that's amazing. I must be losing weight, or these guys are light. Anyway, I got up, I went to the bar, I came back, no one there. I thought, great. <laughs> just totally stacked it off the chair. I became real suspicious of chairs. So mostly, uh, if I didn't enjoy being comfortable so much, I would just walk into a pub and, yeah, all right, go to a restaurant, be standing, in the, everyone else is sitting around the table, I'm standing. They're like, mate, do you want to take a seat? No, I'm okay, mate. <laughs> and that's what it's like when we suddenly realize that, hey, do you want to go hang out? No, I'm all right, mate. Do you want to tell me about your life? Nah, I can't trust. Maybe you discover that you've got a commitment problem when someone invites you into their life and you can't build with them because of the experiences that you've had in the past. And you protect yourself from going deeper with them when really there's a brokenness in your life that is going to hold you back for the rest of your life unless you deal with it. And Jesus is committed to people that are broken. I mean, think of this, that you've got your best mates, Peter, James, and John, and yet when you're saying stuff to Peter, James, and John, they're going off on one. James and John, uh, Jesus, these guys are insulting you. Can we get fire? Just cause fire to fall out of heaven? Burn them up? Jesus isn't like, get out of here. Look at how Jesus loved faithless people, people who were doing crazy things. Or Peter, Peter, the moment that he started to sink, I mean, I'd love for all of us to be able to walk on water to experience what it is like to sink, because I don't know about you, when I jump into water, it's pretty quick. There's no sinking feeling. But Jesus walked with that man who had failed him in that moment of faith. If Jesus can forgive, how much more does he then forgive us when we are faithless to him and call us to express that faithfulness to others? 
I want to encourage you tonight. Maybe you are resonating with a lot of what I say, but you say, you know what, actually, the only person that I've ever really trusted is me. I don't know how good that's going to be for you in the long run. The reason I say that is we're real good at giving our, ourselves free passes, excuses, letting ourselves off the hook. Oh, just, just, just tonight, Lord. Uh, I'm just going to do this one for me. Uh, what about that uh, commitment you made to meet a friend? Oh, you know, they'll understand. Oh, what about that study, those exams you were going to do? Oh, you know, uh, I can always sign up again next year. And we defer and let ourselves off. And trusting in yourself is not really going to get you very far. Just being honest with you. But also you're going to miss out on all of the richness of life. Because when we shift the focus of our faithfulness away from us towards others and discover the vital relationships around us, we can actually start to discover who we really are. You don't know who you are as a friend until someone leans on you. You don't know who you are as a husband or a wife until you're in that covenant relationship. You don't know who you are as a parent. You don't know who you are as a manager until you are in relationship with people. Well, Gabriel, is it safe to love other people? I mean, we're really loving the unlovable. And that's the heart of commitment because when I look around, I can think of a few people that might be called unlovable. I'm on that list. You're on that list? Where if people knew who you really were, they would easily say, hey, I can't love you. And yet God calls us to love the unlovable, to love his church, to love his people to love his children and to love those that don't yet know that they are his children. And when you start to say, you know what, God, you're the one who's in control of my life, not them. Your future, my future is in your hands, not theirs. When I am rooted in you, I can give a gift of trust to them. You start to love in a, in a way that casts out fear for others. Now, commitment or faithfulness, I love using that word tonight, commitment, because it's the most offensive word for us in this area. Commitment is a radically Christian idea. It's not measured by who I wish you were, but I am committed to you because of who you are now and who you can become in Christ. It's love and faithfulness that gives us the room that we need to transform into Christ's image. So practical action for you, what can you do I know that you're thinking about a number of relationships right now and you're probably at the top of your list thinking about your ex. Let me just tell you, don't rush back to the ex too quick. Um, go back to the friendships that you have broken and learn to build friendships first and restore friendships first. Go back to the boss that you shouted at the other week and learn to reestablish that relationship. Maybe even your parents or your family. Reconnect those relationships that are going to be for life. Recognize what it is to be faithful in those before you go running back to uh, Mr. Not Right or Mrs. Not Right. Be someone that says, you know, for these three relationships, I am going to choose to reply when I've ghosted in the past. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to make a realistic commitment to re-engage. And then set a reminder in your phone. Tell yourself every week or every two weeks or every three weeks, you are going to text or call or meet with an individual and then spend time investing in that relationship. 
see what God starts to do as you start to get present and real in people's lives. Point number three then. All of this might sound like great uh, motivational talk, but I don't want to talk about motivational talk that is outside of God. It is God's commitment to us and power in us that enables us to be faithful. When other people might give up, when other people might run, God strengthens us. And in this passage, we read of an encounter with the Holy Spirit that we can each have that empowers us in that way. Now, we are in a Pentecostal church today. We believe when we read these verses that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, that this is an experience that you can have with God. It's an identifiable experience. It might happen the day that you come to Christ, or it might happen at a later stage when you have an experience with God that you know that your life has been changed. Now, we identify that with speaking in tongues, prophesying, but changing the way that we speak, predominantly that focus on tongues. And Paul is reminding these Ephesians that he had discipled them well. He's saying, remember when I discipled you. Remember, I made sure that you received the Holy Spirit. Remember that that was an essential part of your new birth. Therefore, I can talk to you in these terms. And today you might be here saying, well, you know what? I love God, but I don't know that I've ever had that experience with God. Well, this experience is more than about gifts and about praying in a new language. This experience is about a commitment from God to you. The receiving of the Holy Spirit is a sign that God is not just in it for the long haul, but for the eternal haul. The Holy Ghost never ghosts. When God comes to dwell in your life, he never leaves. He comes and dwells in you and strengthens you to become who he has made you to be. And in this context, Paul is looking forward. He's saying, look at these other great prayers that I'm about to pray, the prayer that we would know God's power, the prayer that we would mature in Christ and become like Christ. But it all begins with this commitment that God gives us at the very beginning. Not when we've come to be some mature Christians, but as part of our conversion experience, knowing that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now what that means tonight, in the radicalist terms of the gospel, if you have received Christ for the first time, maybe you haven't shown us, is this, is that for your sin, God has totally let you off the hook. Totally let you off the hook. He's giving you a new start today. If you have a new start, cherish it with everything that you have. Ask him for his strength to live a holy life every day. When you are born again, you're born again so that you can give your life to following the living God. And in a few moments when we come to our ministry time, I want to say this to you, that the Holy Spirit is for you. Maybe you're here today and you say, you Pentecostals, you make this big deal out of baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I've never experienced it. Tonight we're going to pray for you. Because the Holy Spirit is for all that come to know and believe in Christ Jesus. If you believe in Christ tonight, you can have the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we'll prepare ourselves to receive of God in just a few minutes. But some final thoughts. The through line, the message tonight is this, that when God has shown his faithfulness to us, he calls us to then show our faithfulness to him by living faithful to people around you. Become a person that others around you can depend on. When you say you're going to be somewhere, be there. If people are depending on you and you feel like you've got nothing left, you've maxed out, lean into God afresh. 
if the Holy Spirit never ghosts, what would it look like for you to grow in faithfulness to who he is? What would it look like for you to walk in the places that he's walking and calling you to walk with him? What would it look like for us to become a people that season our society, our families, our churches, our communities with his presence because we're faithfully walking with him wherever he leads us?